You're listening to The Razor's Edge. The Razor's Edge is an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor and trader with decades of experience in markets, and me, Daniel Schwarzman, who has been focused on the market as a career for the past decade. We take investing ideas or themes we're interested in and break them down, or we speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. You can also check out our work on Seeking Alpha under our respective names, or reach us on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. Our standard disclaimer and disclosure. The Razor's Edge is a Shortman Studios production. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice. We'll disclose any positions in any stocks discussed at the end of the podcast or during our introduction to the given episode. Third time appears to be the charm for us. After seeing the football get pulled away from investors after Q1 and Q2 earnings, Slack and PagerDuty brought much cheer to shareholders in the spirit of the holiday season. Slack has agreed to a deal with Salesforce.com, and PagerDuty reported another solid quarter that finally woke the market up to its consistent growth opportunity. We couldn't let that pass by without a breakdown, especially given all the requests we heard from listeners on Twitter. To do it, we brought on Jens Schumacher and Justin Stepka, the two former Atlassian employees and previous guests on this podcast. We're also joined by Rich, a cloud CRM CEO who gives us more insight on that side of the Slack Salesforce deal. Disclosures today, I am long Dropbox and PagerDuty. Akram is long PagerDuty, Slack, Twitter, Netflix, and Workday calls. Justin is along Atlassian, Amazon, Slack, PagerDuty, ServiceNow, Tesla, Twilio, Apple, Salesforce, and Netflix. And Jens is along Atlassian, PagerDuty, and DocuSign. Rich is along Twitter. Let's get into it. Slack. Slack got bought out by Salesforce. Who wants to jump in on thoughts, import, feelings? All right. So is that is that we're just gonna are we gonna go right in at, like this? All right. I, I guess we'll say we, who we have here. We have SAS bad boy Sepka. How's it going? Dude, I'm doing great. It was a fantastic last two weeks. Yeah, you're enjoying the uh, ever rising stock market. Yeah, up until the sell off today. And we have Jens is back. Hello, everyone. <laughs> that was almost a, a dynamite introduction. And we have a we have a, a new guest, Richard. Hey, hi guys. All right, so to give you guys a little background for everyone listening, we have a CRM CEO, the former Atlassian dynamic duo over here. I think it's a it's a good combination considering we have Salesforce, a CRM company, buying Slack, which you Atlassian guys should know since you had HipChat and then gave up trying to compete against them. So I think now let's just dive right in. I guess Justin. You've obviously shared your views before on the podcast with respect to this. Do you, do you like the deal? I think for Slack, it, it 
it's fantastic. We went over this on the first podcast that I did that, you know, you really need to get a business in a position where it can have multiple revenue streams. And and for Slack, it needs to be bar, part of a larger collaboration suite, whatever it is, whether that's email, chat, video. For Salesforce, you know, it gives them a great way in order to tap into their customer base. And it also allows them to talk to their customers directly with, with the, the new features that Slack has rolled out recently and has had tremendous growth with Slack Connect, that is. Okay, so you're 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 basically you're you're buying into the, the narrative, customer experience. It's a love product, and I think the the COO, I don't remember his name, not who was supposedly chief architect driver behind the deal at Salesforce, kind of emphasized that they were looking for something that Salesforce is siloed in nature and something that horizontally goes across. I mean, again, it's a chat app. I don't really we can talk about the integration element because but when you think about it, yeah, I mean, all right, so you, you needed to add chat. People will say, you know, that you, you failed with chatter. What's different this time? We, we, we've obviously, I've shared some views on that online and we've discussed it before, but basically buying into the narrative. Are you in the camp of like, oh, I'm very sad. I don't, my, my Slack doesn't get to go to hundred billion. I think that they were struggling to, to execute a little bit, especially around the sales and marketing component. And so, you know, I would have liked to have seen them be able to penetrate quicker, especially during the year of COVID. When I was watching the NHL finals and I'm seeing between every commercial break and advertisement for teams and how it enables you to stay connected and be effective communicating I mean, NHL, NBA, NFL. Last night on on, on the Ravens game, it was uh, teams, teams, teams commercials. They, they're everywhere as far as sports. I just don't. I just don't understand how Slack couldn't go to the same people that Apple had. I know you brought up that analogy of, you know, the cool PC versus the old PC. You know, they. they I mean, they could have done anything. They just. They didn't. They did nothing. And so I think it's sort of split down the middle. I'm happy with the trades that I made around this. I mean, I really believe in it as a technology and it's, it's worked out well for me. Okay. Now let's go from the other end of the angle. You're talking about it from that standpoint, but does anybody want to chime in? And maybe Jens, if you want to step in on this, as far as a lot of the heat that Slack got, traditionally speaking, if you go back to when it IPO'd and I was short the stock, the, a lot of the narrative was teams, 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 and you know some things changed over time. But I think w- when you talked why Slack did it sell the way Slack sells, what percentage of people are going to use all these integrations in Slack? I mean, who's integrating with Jira and PagerDuty and whatever? Development engineers. Like I don't necessarily think that you you're thinking about marketing to them on the NFL games or NHL playoffs, and that's where you get into what what COVID changed with the dynamic is. Slack would succeed with people like you guys at Atlassian, and then it works its way. They would make the sale once they're in the organization to, you know what, you can get much more system of record, get everybody at work using it, get everybody talking to each other, increase productivity, and leverage this across your organization. And that's where their sales pitch work. But fast forward pandemic, what happens in a pandemic? You have a 400 or whatever it is, 300 million plus office user base where everybody's just stuck at home, right? And it's like, hey, I already have Microsoft Teams on here. I, I essentially was getting Slack and turning it off, but now I need video. And maybe like once I get off that work call, I need to share a PowerPoint presentation or whatnot. This is when you get the the suits, as we like to call them, 
and the sales types and what just used starting to interact with it the same way they they may have been using iMessage. I don't know. But I mean, like it's not like AOL Instant Messenger isn't something a lot of these people use or or IRC or whatever back in the day. But we have talked about how a hip chat failed against a Slack or a camp campfire. That also did like didn't really catch on trying to get it. Slack kind of won out against all those in terms of that IT crowd. But when you think the the mainstream, you get into this whole thing. Well, okay, like now they have a problem where it's like they need to go into an organization where people look at it and they're just they're not using it for Jira. They may just be talking. They don't have need a pager duty integration. They're not going to be like, okay, I can pull this monitoring stuff in, et cetera, et cetera. When you think about that, that kind of flipped the narrative a little bit where the hard sell to grow essentially into these orgs, and that's what Slack cross channels comes in. Anyway, background and whatnot, Jens, like your opinion in terms, because I, I know we've discussed this a little bit. And I mean, you obviously, but you know, as as a person who who is overseeing all Jira Jira teams, you must obviously have a view with when you guys competed with, with HipChat. So take the floor. Yeah, it was always hard for us to to understand why people like it so much. It's it's just Sometimes it's just like a feeling. You remember the letter that they wrote to Microsoft? Was it in the New York Times? It's like, like, welcome to the game. We're like excited to yeah. have you. And yeah, the taunting. Just here, and, and then, just here and, like and a note. Saying- it's not, yeah, exactly. It's not just about the features. So they just managed with the design and experience that they created to get people really excited about it. It wasn't just like another tool that they had to use, but people just wanted to use it. And it's always hard to pinpoint why exactly that is and like what's like hip chat to some degree i personally preferred the like hip chat design like the stride later on definitely more because it was a bit more compact like it's just a personal preference now i I think with teams clearly you hear people saying that the product is not as good it's a bit more complicated they're trying to do too much they're trying to put a trello into that as well and it's the video component it's like okay, what is Teams really? But what it has going for it is that it has Microsoft and uh, people get it for free, essentially. I went to, an, uh, to a CIO conference in 2019 and I talked to one of the CIOs, uh, deputy CIO of PwC. And they, they use Slack heavily internally. But he said they also got to a point where, okay, now the it kind of bubbled up. There's a lot of people using Slack, but they also have all the Microsoft subscriptions. So it most likely looks like there's going to be a call from above that, okay, everybody has to stop using Slack and we're all going to standardize on Microsoft because you have this divide. And I think that was the biggest risk for them if they don't have enough advocates. And it's not even advocates, like people at the top then look at it, well, it looks like it does the same thing. Why, why are we paying that much more for this service that we essentially already get for free from Microsoft? And I think that was a challenge for them. I mean, do you look at it that way as it just does the same thing? I mean, as from a, an IT development or you know software engineer background, like, are you looking at it and saying it's just chat? I mean, because if it was just chat, then hip chat, campfire, instant messenger, WhatsApp, matters it matters compared hotmail to gmail which one do you like better i mean i I'd, I'd, I'd say that gmail is you know miles ahead of what hotmail is yeah, i don't think there's a question of like is it the same thing or does it have the same functionality on paper it does 
And I think that's the that's the problem here, because for the actual users, the experience you always hear, oh, I really don't like Team, and oh, I really like Slack, and it's a better experience, and it's easier to understand or to use. But the people at the top who make the decision then, whether it's a CIO, they maybe they don't use it every day, or they they just they just look at the capabilities on paper does it have this feature is, 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 is it an addiction thing because i remember you know i was a blackberry cultist initially and i remember before before iphone like really had caught on yet like it's i had a couple early adopter friends who got the iphone and they're like hey we can talk to you on bbm with this thing called whatsapp and i was like fuck off you're just like, what's that? What's that going to be? And I, it, I, I don't know if it's addiction, though. It, it, I think it's a generational thing. But having worked at Docker, you could see a, a, a huge difference between the folks that had, had to come from emerging companies who wanted to communicate and conduct business through chat and were willing to build and adopt new business processes. Whereas I want to say folks that were over 40 and sort of had figured out the way that they wanted to work and the routines that, and the ways that they wanted to execute, they did not buy into this, this idea that chat was going to be an application that improved the way that they did business. And so for the younger people, I think that you know having the best tool because they've been using chat and they've been using group chats for so long that this is kind of the way that they want to do it. And, you know, for those C-suite people that maybe are making those decisions on at, at those larger companies, they might just see it as a, you know, a checkbox as part of a purchasing decision. I mean, we have argued that before. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw that like Butterfield did put out a statement where he was like, any relevant company that's youthful that you're excited about, you know, let's call this the, the kids market element, but like this, the growth companies of today, they're on Slack. And his argument is in 10 years, those are the companies of of 10 years from now. So his thesis really is that, I mean, it's all like, you, you, like literally when I read that, I was like, I mean, like, have you two been talking? Because like you did bring up this point before. And I mean, even Rajiv, when he was on last time, if you, if you recall, he did point out at like a hundred of the companies that he'd surveyed across what he was working across, 92 of them were on Slack from, in terms of his own investing and portfolio and things that he's been either evaluated, invested in, or interested in. So there is that argument that it's ahead of its time and it's well positioned in, let's call them uh, the early adopters. I mean, and that's kind of like the US market, for example, if you remember on the phone, right, was like kind of like the first market to go to, to iPhone, really. And if you were international, you like, it, like the smart, fancy, most sophisticated phone was a Nokia. Whenever I traveled outside the United States, I'd be like, damn, what, I, what is that Nokia model? They would have like, they just like were flying computers compared to, we either had a Motorola Razor or the Nokia Brick or like the Nokia Little Cube. But the high-end phones- 9220. There you go, right? <laughs> I love that phone. So like, it was a different type of market. And so I personally, back in the day, when I mean, we're talking like, you know, 2004, I was like a big Nokia bull. And I didn't think, I was like, who cares about the US market? Because, well, Nokia owns the rest of the world and how many people are there in the United States? But if, if you saw what Apple ended up doing, the innovation came from there and slowly but surely, it eventually made everybody else obsolete till, you know, we'll call it Samsung and got their act together and, and Android. I don't know how you can call it ahead of its time. And I mean, it has a $25 billion market valuation. It does 100 
what, what is it? it? It's like one billion in annual sales, or just yeah, short it's about of a it. one billion run rate. And it's an. Uh, uh, do you would you guys view it as an underpriced value proposition? And Richard, you know, we want we want to get to you, the, the conversation on that. Like, I mean, people going to the buyer here, Salesforce. Uh, Salesforce is not a cheap product, right? Yeah, I think I think you're right, Akram. This is like in our in you know in the companies that I worked in, getting a Salesforce license is from a business process perspective and control financial control perspective is is actually harder than getting a new PC because you're paying basically for more than a new PC every year to to an employee. So in a, in a way, calling Salesforce an enterprise solution is is incorrect to the extent that there's a you know, it's a pretty small subset of people inside the enterprise that are using it. Just going back to, to Slack, one thing that I think is really, really important is you can say, okay, right, we've we got a chat application, it's the same as Teams, blah, blah, blah. I think that the if you look at the kind of uh, companies that are using Slack, they're using it much more as part of their business processes, or it's, it's kind of more integrated inside of their business processes with other products. I think you were talking about PD as well uh, at some point being integrated with that. And I think that that's the value proposition, which I kind of get the fact that then a C-suite guy may not understand that because you're going to go in saying, ah, I want to buy a chat application. The guy says, okay, have Teams, yeah? But actually, if you look at the way that it's used, I'd say that the, the kind of uh, integration and collaboration is, is kind of one of the key, if not the key benefits, which is probably what Salesforce needs as well, yeah? Yeah, I mean, no, definitely. You know, it's funny because I, I still remember when I stumbled across the PagerDuty uh, Apple implementation in, in January or February of this year, the profile of the person leading the project was like, hey, it, Slack with PagerDuty combined for on-the-fly customer support for you know Apple Apple's support employees. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you, you do think of it that way. And I mean, it, it's ironic when you come back to that. And it's, it's, if you think about it, you know, and again, the chat is kind of like a really thing. I mean, actually, you're in a business, you don't really want people to just chat. Do you want them to do work? So I think collaboration is really where I, I can see where Salesforce is coming from. They're, they're used in a subset of, of a company, which is basically finance and sales team. Yeah? They're absolutely not used in anywhere else because they're so expensive. This enables them to, to get, theoretically, to get in everywhere in the organization. And because of the integration ability, joining up a lot more stuff to Slack, which would then also join up to Salesforce. My, my feeling is that they, they kind of cannot, the way that they've probably got to do it is there's already a Salesforce Slack integration. And I think that that just becomes, yeah, you're free, you know, you're free integration and the, the, the Slack proposition becomes a, a lot more valuable once they've, uh, you know, part of Salesforce. Yeah. I kind of, you know, as a software guy, I'm kind of like, it's really, really easy to focus on one thing, do a point solution and make a really good experience. As, as Jen said, I mean, it is a much better experience than the competition, but to be a successful point solution when you've got people at Microsoft, you know, on your backs is not that easy, is it? I wonder what they're going to do about pricing as well, because one of the big reasons why the large organizations say, oh, we're going to go with teams is because we just get it already. and. Not sure if that's the same with Salesforce as well. Like, are they going to try to sell it into the large organization? Are they going to try to make it cheaper or free? I think that that will be interesting in terms of strategy and how to really go up against Microsoft there with Teams. 
like on one hand, they do have a, a bigger sales force. They have the ties into the enterprise and into just an enterprise sales and the relationships. So that would help them massively. But the value proposition has it changed massively compared to teams. That's the question. But do you, I mean, Stuart, or, you know, are you going to, if, if you're a CIO at Ford, I mean, Slack doesn't strike me as a company that is culturally ready or going to be good at enterprise sales. They more follow the, the Atlassian model where it's like the price is on the website, go and get it. Here you go. Whereas Salesforce, when you go and buy that, I mean, it's a sales tool driven by a sales culture. Immediately, Slack is going to be included in conversations that it was otherwise just not even present at. That's why I'm kind of bullish on you know, its ability to have a much broader distribution under the umbrella of Salesforce. I mean, yeah, they've got 150,000 customers. So they've certainly got like a large proportion of those that they theoretically should and will go to. Yeah. What do you guys make of the idea that Slack from a development perspective is going to weaken? I think this is to Rich, your point that a point product can give you a real focus and a real sort of identity to unify what you're doing but it's harder to compete on a sales perspective. But now that they're part of a, a bigger organization and such a sales-driven culture, on the one hand, they get sold more, but that there may be some trade-off. I don't know whether this matters to investors down the line, but any thoughts on the potential fit and where Slack goes as a product from there? They, they obviously haven't got a very good rec, uh, record or track record at the moment of necessarily integrating culturally integrating different companies. I, I think that from if you look at it from a tech perspective, theoretically Slack is the glue that they need to get into these clients and, and Salesforce. Is, it's almost like the culture needs to become more Slack than, than Salesforce to a certain extent. I don't know what you guys think. Maybe. I mean, in terms of going back to Daniel's point, the integrations that they need are already there for these new business processes that people are adopting where I want to create a ticket in a chat room or the API already exists where you know I can easily add a plugin and integrate quote data from the stock market into a channel. Like all that stuff is already built out and working well. Whereas I don't see that stuff working well for Microsoft yet. And so what you have now is the, the table's been sort of tilted in Slack's direction where they have all of the integrations and now they also have the same distribution that Microsoft Teams has. And so it, you know, in some ways, it's, it's increased its competitiveness substantially. Yeah, I think it, it will be interesting to see what they've learned from their previous acquisitions, whether they're going to leave them alone or if they're, if they're going to integrate them tightly. So my guess is that they're going to play it similar to to how Atlassian played it with Trello. I think just like when Atlassian acquired Trello, everybody was worried about kind of Atlassian, like the big company screwing up the the velocity of the this small tool that everybody loves. And that's kind of the same here as well. Everybody says the like Salesforce, are they going to ruin it? My my guess is that they're going to be very careful in terms of letting them just run and do the thing in terms of product, but build out that integration, the tight integration with Salesforce and making it a key component and like a really compelling feature for, for any sales organization to interact with their customers and making that experience really good, probably with that focus. But don't integrate them too tightly into the rest of the platform for the next year or two. I think they said as much too, didn't they, on the, on the conference call? 
about that? I mean, being off essentially has told you that, you know, this is the, the users love it. So like going back to what's like when we had Sasbro on here, everyone, what does everyone complain most about product wise? Salesforce. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, it's because it's a I mean, CRM, not because it's Salesforce, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's like, a, it's an accountability tool that people have. It's, it's not a, it's not a love product, right? It's like your cable company. So it's like, what does sales guy want to do? He wants to, well, he's got two parts of his job, selling an admin. And he's had that, you know, same 30, 40 years ago, whatever. Yeah. And his admin part and he's now, is now Salesforce. And he doesn't like doing admin. In fact, actually, you know, it's almost like there is a high correlation between good salespeople and, and sorry, good salespeople that can sell for you and bad Salesforce users. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. But exactly. So he kind of gets that because from a branding standpoint, like, I mean, uh, to see him, like some people joked about it, you know, when the deal was announced and it was like, oh, Beanoff got, got sold on this whole customers love it. That's it. I just spent $28 billion to essentially buy something inside Salesforce that people love. But Tableau has always had kind of that positive reputation too, as well, from an analytical tool, data visualization that they bought. They kind of built, uh, built around the usage there too, right? User experience wise. I think in terms of user experience, there's only so much you can do as a product because like Salesforce, just like, like Jira, we always compared it to as like Salesforce has the, the customer as a center and Jira has a ticket as a, its core, but they're very similar products in terms of the complexity and the workflows that you can kind of put in place. And the, yeah, basically it really depends on how complicated it is to use, how it is set up as well. So it's not always just the tool itself that is hard to use, but also what uh, the manager enforces. Like, do you have to fill in all these fields? What are the processes, heavy process or light process? Because you can probably do both in Salesforce and in, and in Jira as well. Yeah, it's like a, one of those tools that nobody ever is going to love. Like you love it when it's like really simple. And as soon as it becomes more complicated and more useful to some degree as well, then it basically enters this, this realm of ah, now it's too complicated. So it's a really difficult space. Look, I've never used Jira, but I've never, I've never heard anyone say anything good about Jira. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems to do well. Yeah. Not it. You get, you get paid on the Ticket, don't you? <laughs> uh, it's really interesting because you like early on when there was just like the the competitors that were more complicated and had a lot more features people loved jira right like early 2000s like even mid to late 2000s and then when it became more and more complex and you had managers employing more and more complex workflows and you couldn't add something like a new ticket unless you filled all those fields out then uh, yeah, people just didn't enjoy using it. But it's often a matter of like how it's set up. How did that make you guys personally feel being there from the beginning where you, where you were loved to at the end when, yeah, you know, it, it's so really loved. It's really rough because you have the, and, and this is a big company problem as well. Like at some stage when that, when that turns and there's a lot of volume. So we had, for example, as a company, you always had your blog posts and comments open. At some stage, we had to lock them down the comments just, I think GitHub had to do as well, because you have so many uh, detractors that just go and put a lot of noise, like negative comments on those posts. And if you comment on like Reddit or uh, Hacker News as well, you got to be really careful choosing your words. Otherwise you get torn apart because they know like, uh, like you at Lassian and they like every word that you say is just like, 
associated with a big company rather than you as an individual. And that makes it really hard for an individual in a company like this to to go and represent the views and like talk about, no, this is actually what's happening here and be open about it. And people just like, they'll say, oh no, if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to be in trouble in the company. Maybe I better say nothing at all. And it's kind of this, like people don't giving slack to, and no pun intended here, but uh, no, no uh, slack to kind of the individual who tries to do the right thing and be more open and, and tell the community what's going on. Instead, you get a lot of hate and that's, I guess that's the internet, right? The online world is a, is a vicious, vicious yeah. place. And it's really, that, that makes it really hard for a company to be, for a large company to be more open and have individuals represent the company. It's quite interesting to see how that transitions from a small company where you can't be open, where you, where you have a lot of transparency in what you're working on to later on where you rarely give any updates anymore because of the scale makes it really hard to to give updates on every single um, issue that's being raised, but also because it's just could backfire on you and then basically end your career or maybe get fired, right? Like it's not that that happened at the last thing because like there, there were a few people who said something that probably wasn't, wasn't quite correct, but, and, but backfired heavily. And it's, it's just, I think there was understanding like, yeah, that's, it's a rough thing to do. And thanks for trying though. Slack has essentially avoided that problem. I, so one other thing that I wanted to, to to ask you guys about in general, because you you brought up the pricing element, and I mean Richard, obviously with your background in CRM, if you look at at last at at Slack's pricing, and we we didn't get into this whole thing around Slack Connect at all. Do you guys think that with work from home and salespeople not being out in the field, was there an element to Salesforce here where they're like, look? Is our value proposition for our core product, which, I mean, would you, Richard, say that they're over-earning for the CRM as its core product? Because when I think about a CRM and going back to early days of looking at it, I mean, I have I followed this company since, you know, 2004, five, whatever. I think about it as, you know, it was contact management and a database. Right? I mean, I remember when the back and forth between Beanoff and Ellison, and he would just be like, you know, I love Salesforce. You know, it, there's there's an Oracle database, there's Oracle middleware, there's Oracle this, and there's this teeny little 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 thing at the top, and it's called Salesforce. It's like a UX. And then we got you go one step further, like you know, Viva built on top of Salesforce, right? It, it they didn't even bother. They just took the Force.com platform and they customized it, and that became vertical as the new horizontal and 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 life sciences CRM. Interestingly enough. They were talking about a reduction, significant reduction in pharma field force uh, for 2021, which I would assume means that they these people have already been fired and the renewals are coming up for, for, for next year and they have visibility on, on the shrinking of, of the subscriber base. So is there is there a risk that Salesforce was trying to mitigate here with respect to if I'm using Slack at what, eight to twelve dollars a month and I'm a sales guy? And I start talking outside the company with leads, customers, and I start spending significantly more time because I, I I've been spending a lot of time recently on Netflix and 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 this space and you know when when you used to look at a, a hit movie or a hit TV show it's what did it do in the ratings and whatever but Netflix measures their success of a product by how many hours they got up so when you look at a show for them it's like how many minutes were viewed and the, if you shift into Slack a lot of time that you were spending in Salesforce and I've got 150, 200, 300 dollars, I don't know depending what you're spending all in as far as Salesforce CRM. 
does that become that that dreaded, you know, situation of well, uh, my pricing has to come down, and I need to buy something here that is where the where the user is going next, right? I mean, you could argue this with Facebook. They go to Instagram, they go to WhatsApp. Like, I I need to command their time, and I can I I can keep that going. So th- there is a bare argument in software that you have perpetual. That people love the subscription business, but what if you consistently have to roll in acquisitions? Yeah, and that's a really good question. I think that there's two ways of like looking at this: is you know wh- where are they now and where they're going? Because effectively, what they've done, if you look at it uh, in a negative way, which is not the way that I would necessarily look at it, is they bought a point solution which enables chat for twelve percent of their market cap. So that's a pretty big. You know, you must have a pretty big problem if you're willing to pay 12% market cap for something that you you kind of suggested that you'd. Yeah, well, chatter, yeah. So I think that if you look at the stack, so yeah, the stack at the top of the stack, which is the, you know, the, the SaaS area, in my kind of view of, of this is, that, you know, there are point solutions. And by the way, CRM is a point solution for sure, yeah. But I think that the, the way that things are going is that there isn't, and, you know, in that respect, Slack is already is already there, yeah. Is that you are automating workflows within companies, and I think that that that's so important now. I'll give you an example of a you know typical Salesforce system is it takes a bit of a, it's a bit of a pain in the neck to maybe implement, and then the senior management say we are not, just don't touch it, do not touch it, we're not going to do anything with it because it works. So I think that that in a way has been or possibly is a problem. Growing from that on, you know, on, on the basis that actually you're not necessarily selling them 150 different products every every year. But I think that the logic, for, you know, the reason why you spend 24 billion on it is more 27.5. 20, sorry, 27. Yeah, sorry, I'm looking at the. Uh, we we, we um, would have been happy with 30. <laughs> it's like 10 percent more than it floated for, but I think it's a real big picture uh, play. This I think it's a really, you know, relatively intelligent move from from but you understand where, where i'm going with this when i think back to something like viva which you know was criticized on its tam their argument was add-ons add-ons what does viva engage it's zoom joking back then it was like well what are you going to add chat again if you're looking at slack today and you're saying well i mean what's the crm expand into and sales enablement became another thing where it's like hey i want that top layer funnel automation like not the database the dumb database I want to automate the process that I will go through to follow up with a client or whatever. And that became the sales enablement stuff that like, you know, a couple of them, the, the top one that was hosted in the Salesforce app exchange reached like a multi-billion valuation last year or something. And I was reading about it and it's like, okay, well, I mean, if that's, if sales enablement is your focus, then what's the CRM? A product evolved. It's, it's the smartphone feature phone well, debate. What about this then, Akram? You know, you've got you know you're, you've done a lot of research on like from 1960s to now on, on you know the way that tech moved on. Yeah, you know, you remember the Oracle salesman, the IBM salesman. They've got a little suitcase, a little briefcase, and they've got you know they open the briefcase and it's got like you know 150 different products. What do you want? Yeah, this product is pretty good for the Salesforce, the sales, the Salesforce of Salesforce. They've suddenly got a product which, as you say, is, is actually a lot cheaper than their the rest of their products. It's a, probably a lot easier proposition to sell. And if they want to be in enterprise sales, like, you know, versus Microsoft versus other big players, uh, then, you know, this is a good deal for them, yeah? Uh, if you look, I mean, I don't know what it is now, but sales and marketing expenditure in, sales, in Salesforce.com has always been 
an absolutely huge amount. Yeah. I mean, they have they invented the evangelism. So they have a party. Yes. They have an annual party, which is like the equivalent of Lollapalooza. You know, so it's not like you're, you're buying the product, but you're actually buying. You yes. know, you're paying for the sales and marketing but, but team. Metallica, and, Obama, a concert. It, it's it's great. Super Bowl adverts yes. and everything. Yeah. Yeah, true. Better for you, better for the for but that. But he learned from the master, and I mean, he's he's been very yeah. good at doing that, right? And part of the criticism is, well, you know, he buys something and he rolls it in and he turns it into something else. But I think for selling, if you go back to selling as as a software, you could always find a direct cost. So if I have a CRM person in the field, there's an expense line item to it. That's where you get the difference, and that's where I think. The benefit of what Salesforce has had there. I'm just curious if you guys think that, like, was Slack Connect? Were they looking at Slack Connect and being like, "Look," because you do have to think about this. And I mean, Justin, we've discussed this. If they stayed public, they would need to show their ancillary expansion, and like, it's got to be like, "Look, we're adding this product to drive pricing," because the, like, I could buy Slack and raise the price fifty percent, and it's still cheaper than. A ton of software. I mean, initially when I was short of pager duty, before it was along, it was like $30 a month. Come on. What is what like? I mean, what's the common criticism there, Jens? It's expensive, right? Well, I think the the, the difference is the just like CIM as well. You have a you have a sticker price, but then if you need to, if you look at if you want to roll this out to the whole organization, then $12 for for the, the higher tier becomes pretty expensive with like pager duty you have like maybe the engineering team on there and yeah that that gets pretty expensive as well but again with like scale it reduces i don't know how how slack actually whether they just have a straight pricing or if it gets cheaper the more the more you buy i mean you can figure out that the effective pricing per seat is high single digits i, 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 I don't I don't think it's about pricing. It's about it's about the number of seats that they can sell. I mean, it, the CRM market is probably 100% saturated. If there's a billion knowledge workers out there, how many of those seats are sold to companies that have chat tools? What is what is the Microsoft at? 200 million? What, what is Slack it's, it's at? 300 million or so office, right? Right around there. I think 285 maybe. Right. And so... 75% of the knowledge workers are still people that can be achieved as, as whatever the price is, whether it's the current price or you double it, it doesn't matter what it is. If your sales force, you now have expanded by many multiples, the number of people that you can go after in the market in order to start capturing revenue. That's what this is about. And they'll, they'll figure out what the price needs to be, but that's the point of this acquisition. That's a really that's a really good point because once you've got those users, you can then sell onto them, yeah. So you can say, yeah, actually, now you know you've got everybody using Slack. Now, what about you know Slack Y or Slack Z? I think that's a really good point because of their distribution, because of their sales and marketing reach, they can do that. I'd say pretty pretty quickly, yeah. What are your thoughts about the capabilities they can add? Like, how do they use the product to potentially expand their reach as well. If you hear people saying, well, Salesforce is hard to use. What I've seen in the past in the IT context is in, in order to expand from just like the core IT team to other teams in the organization to use some of the IT products like a service desk. Uh, HR usually already uses just kind of Slack or a tool like Slack to follow like a very simple process. And I wonder if there's an equivalent here in in the sales world as well, 
where you integrate more with the rest of the team or expose processes to the rest of the team via a simpler interface that they don't have to go into Salesforce. They don't need necessarily Salesforce license, but you kind of like embed them more and encourage collaboration more. Because one of the problems that we have in, in my company right now, and it's a small company, 15 people, we have a few Salesforce licenses, but not everybody gets a Salesforce license because it's really expensive and like we don't have money to throw around. So there's very little visibility that the product managers or um, like maybe somebody marketing who doesn't have access to the Salesforce license has in yeah, so you just to kind the of, pipeline. You're kind of making that point right there, right? You're saying that you don't have enough to throw around. So if I'm Salesforce and I'm earning a very high ASP per per user, or I, I mean, I, I should generally have a concern that if I'm not innovating my product, someone like a Slack or these all these software companies that are out there with insane valuations have to look at a market and be like, how do I get some of that dollar, that 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 wallet share? And but take a look at it, take a look at it just to continue on James is saying. It's like let's talk you know, like B2B selling. So that's the people that are using, you know, B2B salespeople are the guys that are using Salesforce mainly. Yeah? Take, you know, forget about software. In the end, most B2B selling is many to many. So many people inside of the of the selling organization and many people inside of the buying organization. Yeah. And there is not a great correlation between the value that the people that got Salesforce licenses versus the ones that don't, as, as you probably know from you know your startup gens. You know, it's sometimes I'd say that a lot of sales actually get done by people that are product experts that absolutely will definitely have definitely not have a Salesforce license. Yeah. So I think that if you then say, okay, well now these guys are using a CRM system, but actually it's about collaboration. So what are they doing in collaboration? Well, actually they're they're using the telephone, they're using email, and they're using probably Teams or, or Slack. And this is this is basically saying, you know, something I recognize that if I if I'm, you know, if I'm trying to really produce a, a good kind of sales sales product, I've got to have co- collaboration across the organization and also to the other organization once you've once you've implemented. Can I just I want to double click on that point? And that that's where the, the connect feature comes in. Is, is they will be able to charge for that feature quite a bit because they'll be able to say that we can better support our customers and it will drastically improve support tickets. You know, So if you take Docker, for example, or even Atlassian, right? Like you're, you're interacting with a ticket system and you're commenting and things like that. Imagine just having the chat attached to the support ticket. And I don't know about you guys, but I ordered some furniture the other day. I had the option of either chatting on the website or calling. If I've got the option to chat on the website, I choose that option every time over getting on the phone and having to call in. And I'm sure that Salesforce recognizes this and they recognize that their customers are going to want to be able to uh, expand this feature set to their customers as well. And that's one of the ways that they're going to be able to identify different types of SKUs, whether it's increasing the number of people that can access Salesforce itself so that Yuns can look at the ticket or the support team that needs to be able to look at the ticket, or if you just need chat in order to communicate with your customers. There are a number of directions that they can go with their product lines or different SKU combinations in order to increase the price. That's a good point. There, so, and also effectively you were saying that actually the kind of the zero world that the engineers live in is about to get replicated uh, at the front office and also in you know, the other product experts. What do you, so I, the two things looking for that I'm curious about are who is threatened? Let's start with that. Who's threatened by this deal? Obviously, Microsoft, I think, is the one that everybody's talking about, but 
I'm going to probably sound stupid for saying this, but I recall us talking, Justin, when you came on about Twilio and the segment purchase, and that to me seemed like, okay, they're they're sort of approaching what CRM is trying to, Salesforce is trying to do in terms of giving you a full customer view. It's a different sort of product, but there, are there any companies that you think, maybe it's Atlassian, maybe Jira, Zendesk. like we just said. Zendesk. Zendesk. Okay. I would I would expect to see Salesforce start improving their ticketing system or to go out and acquire somebody that has a very good ticketing system in order to connect the dots and have a different omni-channel sort of customer perspective. The 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 Twilio one is about APIs and interactions. The the Salesforce approach is more of a white glove kind of like, how am I touching and talking to my customer rather than how am I aggregating data about my customer? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's anyone like in particular threatened, like yeah, Zendesk, like obviously Microsoft because they're going head to head, but it's really more an opportunity to expand Slack as well. I wonder with Connect, as you chat with potential customers, Eventually, probably you even get them onto Slack to to chat to them. That's a viral capability as well that didn't exist before. Before it was mostly confined to the company, but it couldn't really spread across different companies. And if they make it really easy for a sales organization and a potential customer prospect to uh, to communicate on Slack, to sign up to Slack and experience the product and try it out. The prospect might even say, oh, this this worked really great for collaborating with that team. Maybe we should use it in other contexts as well. So you can see the like a potential there to for Slack to spread much faster to, to different organizations as well that that don't use any of the tools yet. Not sure if that's a threat to anyone like but teams. Um, but yeah, I think I mean, Microsoft already, like, as far as I'm concerned, when I look at them, it's like, we don't want people, we we don't want office revenue to go anywhere else, right? Yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, if they they can add, they're in in that, like, kind of Netflix scenario where they're fully penetrated into a market and they've got, like, 300, 400 million users, right? And if they can charge them $1 more a month or $2 more a month, or three dollars more a month, it, it just literally falls right into their the, their pocket. But they're right in the same the spot with that product that Slack is, is it, it, like with Google Docs. I've been going back to the the conversation on all these new startups are using Slack. You know, every every startup that I work with uses Google Docs, and so they they are threatened on multiple fronts here. And and you know, I, I was a bit surprised that Google or, or or Zoom didn't snatch up uh, Slack or there wasn't greater competition to buy the company because it would have fit nicer in a office suite integration play. Is it, you think it arrogance on their part because they actually know how to build things and Salesforce doesn't? Is that the, the argument? What do you mean by that? Saying like in, in, inside Google, do they look at it and be like, oh, we, we can build this, right? I mean, we built it and Gchat or whatever, it doesn't they, have I mean, caught on. They didn't want to do it. They retired their chat and video tool. Like, and they they took it off the shelf and re-enabled it in the middle of COVID. So they didn't see it as a strategic priority up until a few months ago. Well, I mean, we can say one thing about COVID. Whatever you, your strategic priorities were before changed drastically, almost 180 degrees for a lot of things. So it has to be, you've had to have been mentally a very flexible person with respect to a lot of things. Because if you 
were stubborn remotely, you kind of uh, got left out in the, left out in the cold. So I think that's kind of an, an element here where a lot of people look at this because you know a lot of people were not happy about this acquisition, and it's gotten it's gotten some heat. The sell side has has criticized it. You know, there's a lot of people who like Slack sold below its IPO price and or right around it. So it's you know don't even like celebrate it or whatever and 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 so on and so forth. Then you've got the flip side where it's like, oh, I don't get to make a ton of money on it compounding a lot, but there's the counter argument that you don't want to end up being Dropbox or Box in two years. And will there be a point when valuations come back to earth at some point or things do slow down and and you don't want to be the one who has that, show me now that you can make money type of uh, question mark around you. And inside Salesforce, they don't have that issue. So I, I, I will say, and I was curious of your opinion on this actually, uh, Jens, I listened to the Slack, I guess the lead architect of Connect, because it, like it was him and 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 Stuart were on something, and he was he was making the point that it was the RBC. It was the one where someone asked him about Salesforce, and I actually listened. To the next question after the Salesforce one, where it was awkward, was the I'm not allowed was, to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, where he's yeah, where he's like, I, uh, what do I say here? <laughs> but the other one was uh, like, how difficult was it to build Connect? And that's where I was, I was curious, like his argument is it was, I mean, I assume anybody in software always says it's very difficult to build what we just built, Mm -hmm. but like he said, it required to open up the cross-channel communication outside to another Slack. It was like, it wasn't easy. Mm. Those are always capabilities that seem very easy to build. Like one capability as well is like, can you be part of multiple organizations and then how do you structure this and how do you, how do you handle login? So at, on the surface, it seems really easy to build. It's like, oh, I can just be part of multiple groups, but then do you use the same email address to log into those? And if there's any security enforced, like 2FA on one of them, is that what happens if you jump between them? Do you need to log in into each of them? So there's a there's a whole bunch of questions that need to be answered. And then doing that in letting people access different organizations, that makes it even more complicated. Because the yeah, those are obviously areas that we looked into at lesson as well. Like how do we enable cross-company coll- collaboration? Or if you are part of multiple Jira instances or Jira accounts, like how do you how do you do that? And I think it took a long time for Jira and for, for Slack to get that right and make that a good experience. So it, it's not a trivial thing to implement, especially if you didn't start out with that architecture in mind, if you already have an existing identity management layer in your application that makes certain assumptions about everything being contained in one space, and then you have to change it and open it up. You have to, there's a lot of security concerns, of course, as well. I mean, does it turn into like a business social network? And I'm, is it my WhatsApp? Am I worried about who's messaging me or bothering me or harassing me? I, I think that's the, like another part that they have to think through. Like, how do we stop everyone from just like reaching out to everyone and bothering them, right? So the we're using it to um, Slack to communicate with some of our enterprise customers. And it basically opens it up to one-on-one conversations. Like somebody from another company can just ping you as well one-on-one and and ask you questions all the time. And that obviously doesn't scale if you have like hundreds or thousands of customers and everybody does that. So you you kinda gotta think about those as well, those things as well. How do you restrict the direct access to people? Like what 
like how do you make it visible that you talk to someone who's not in your organization i think they don't want it to be a whatsapp but they do want to enable it and finding that fine line is going to be is, is interesting and and hard to do i think there's a very very i think yeah i think non-contextual communication is is a problem in slack and also people that are using slack and and teams and it's the kind of new the new world I mean, in a way, that's in a way the, the exact opposite of a CRM system, which is totally, you say, structured, controlled, and uh, yeah, it's a database. So it, you really do get a total context. Whereas in a collaboration application, you, you know, you often don't. Uh, even even when you have, you know, workspaces. I mean, I don't know how many workspaces people have, but like, <laughs> I have probably a few too many, and we're still only using this in, in on the inside of the organization. Okay. So I think, that, and that's a difficulty, but I understand exactly why they would purchase it because they want to be, you know, they want to have that problem. You know, it's not their problem. It's, it's, the, it's the company that's purchasing Slack that's got the problem. They want to have, they want to be everywhere, as, as, as Justin says. Does this finish off everybody else in, in trying to compete in this space? In what space is that? Like the Saying like uh, Mattermost or, you know, uh, using Discord for work? Uh, like, is, are we now done with this? Is it, is it Slack and Teams? Yeah, I think, I think Discord already carved out a niche for itself. Um, it's very different. They don't have all the different integrations. They haven't really focused on that. They, their focus has been very, very specific on like communities and, and gaming. And MetaMost, I, I think it will be interesting to see what they can do in cloud. Like the big selling point for them was that it was open source and you could install it behind a firewall. I think they're going to have a really hard time competing in, in cloud just based on the experience that, that we had there. So that will not be an easy sell because they, they just don't have the differentiator in the cloud that they had with the behind the firewall instance and say, hey, we're the only one who does that behind the firewall and you can, can scale it. So yeah, looking forward to see what, what happens in that space. But I think Teams and, and Slack are the kind of the big players and continue to be. Google's going to have to do something. Yeah, but they should, what they should have done is bought Slack. I mean, and it fits, it fits really nicely into their product suite. And Microsoft has started to build in these capabilities where you can provide links in chat immediately to edit or have previews of documents that are worked on. And I just, I, I really honestly thought that Slack would end up at Google yep. or, or Zoom. And, and oh, I didn't mention that. that yeah. is... What about Zoom? Were they asleep at the wheel? I think there's room for both of those companies to come into the office collaboration space and provide chat tools. I, I think that Google is well positioned, and, and so is Zoom for that matter. I mean, well, I, mean I, I think Zoom's happy with this, right? I mean, you now have Salesforce and Slack together. Microsoft obviously has ambitions to compete against them on video, so they have a natural partner. Yeah, and I think for for Zoom, it would have been a stretch to to acquire as well because the it's just a question of slack actually wanted to take the zoom like stock essentially they don't have that much cash to pay for it so the, the overvalued zoom stock is that what you want to take you're but assuming for, it's overvalued well sure i mean how do you how do you liquidate <laughs> how do you liquidate 30 billion dollars on an already overvalued yeah i mean that that's that's hard especially when you have a huge institutional and VC ownership base still, but it just went to 
that that pill went to swallow. It, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely like a high valuation. Whether it's overvalued is a probably a different question. But for Google, it would have been a no brainer. They have the, the money; it would have meant nothing to them. And quite, yeah, quite frankly, I'm surprised that they didn't go hard into into a bidding war there. Uh, they I mean, really, they could have done an all cash really should, deal. Yeah. They really should have. They really should have owned it because the way they're positioned at the moment, their uh, meat is getting there as a tool. We use it internally because it's free, basically, and it's not terrible. It's not Zoom, but it works okay. Just the chat capabilities are just like, yeah, we don't even need to talk about them. It's it's just like nowhere, <laughs> nowhere competitive, and I think it will take them a long time to get there. Is that a case where the antitrust stuff is slowing Google's hand a little bit because? Yeah. I mean, it's a little, it's not where they're hit, getting hit, but still a $30 billion or whatever, they would have probably had to pay $30 billion to get it. Grabs headlines yeah. and it might change attitudes. Yeah, that's Certainly true. The timing wasn't there for them. But, you know, the Thomas Kieran, the CEO of Google Cloud, I mean, he's doing everything that he can to be competitive. And, you know, he does have the fastest growing cloud service on the market, even though it's the smallest of the three. And I think the, the other thing is, it's not that you acquiring them to dominate the market, it's you acquiring them to to go up against like one of your big competitors who plays in a space. So it's not that they're creating a monopoly by that acquisition. They, If anything, they probably create a more competitive marketplace. So probably would have been fine, actually. I would agree with that. Great point. You think that they have the confidence to think that they would be able to do to execute something like Slack, even though they did a not a very good job on the on, on their current solutions uh, in the future, because I mean, at the end of the day, they've got they can spend as much money as they want, and they're not necessarily in a big hurry. Yeah, I think they should be in a hurry though, because like once you have the whole organization standardizing on one tool, it makes it makes it hard to to switch them over again. Although um, Slack chat for itself is not super sticky, which might make it a little bit easier, but in terms of whether they have the capability to build it, it's just just not as easy as it, as it looks, but they, they certainly have the resources. I would double down on that. It's not sticky. I mean, how many instant missions tools have you used since the 90s? Right? You had AIM, you had MSN, you've got WhatsApp, you've got Facebook Messenger. You know, These things are very fluid and they, they shift over time. Yeah, and we're about to find out whether video conferencing has got the same, the same issue yet. It's interesting because the like obviously Zoom focused heavily on on that experience, and I, to some degree, I I like that they say this is our main main priority and we're going to be the best at it. But at some stage, you also have to figure out like how do you how do you expand into other parts to create like to to broaden your mode or broaden your like user base and, and the capabilities that you offer to your user base. Will be interesting to see Zoom in the next year. I mean, if you look at the history of the history of these things, I don't know. I think it's just too narrow a solution to not be with other stuff. I think, Akram, you've you've spoken about that as well. Yeah? Can you be a, a just just a video communication company in the end? You know, this is what we do. We don't do anything else. I mean, you know, you know we, my view of views uh, on on Zoom. Like, looking at, I mean, look at Zoom now. What is it? Three seven. Zoom is pretty much down. What forty five percent the last six months? Quietly. I mean, no one really talks about it. But I mean, I was having that conversation today. It was like there was a person who was who, who gave me a, a hard time on PagerDuty versus Everbridge in, in February, March, and I looked at it today, and PagerDuty had had doubled because and uh, Everbridge 
basically flat over that time period. So there are there, there, when I when I look at Zoom, and I talk to people about Zoom, obviously Zoom has vastly exceeded everyone else's expectation, including mine. But if I look at next year, and I think, what's the back half of twenty twenty one look like? People don't really want to sit and and stare at each other on video. I mean, I know people are using it extensively for work, but will they see churn? It's a forty percent business now that's prosumer. I would have thought maybe they want to go into that. Like I, I, I think people prefer to chat. Like Justin was just saying with respect to buying the furniture, like if you can avoid customer interaction that has to be direct, like these days you, you would rather chat than call on the phone. And that's where you get into this thing with, I mean, video has, uh, I, I think video had this COVID element where we felt we needed to see each other immediately because of the pandemic. And then, you know, as time progressed, a lot of communications has gone asynchronous versus necessarily real time. I mean, they, they, got, they can go places. I mean, they, you know, they, they, the whole kind of online event business area. There's like I don't buy into that. I, I, like, the white, like the Zoom marketplace and the trainer who's going to be hosted, like his Zoom store, and, and they can break the revenue like a Shopify for services. Maybe. but. I, I think a lot of that, a lot of that market is stuff that trails off post-COVID, and is more so a competitive alternative, maybe, for your trainer in one market. That potentially, like, of you can get someone foreign who's cheap and just as good, and 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 get him online. And you want, if you want to get into the politics and the dynamics of that as as an alternative, turning the service industry work, but I don't know. I mean, it's not it's not something that I look at. I, I think Zoom was. An excellent, if not the, without question, the best video conferencing tool before. And I think they, if you look at their profitability, obviously it's off the charts. But a lot of that comes from over-earning, right, on on the prosumer end. And that's going to go away, a lot of it. I mean, let's call half of it. So it's a different looking business. I'm surprised that they didn't, they didn't take advantage of that. But they're extremely well positioned. I mean, forget, like, they can do what they're, it's like, oh, it's like criticizing Tesla. We've discussed this. Like his financial flexibility is is beyond reproach at this point. Whatever you think of the guy personally. Well, I think think about I would think about it. Like, I mean, you know, look look what happened to Salesforce. You know, minor minor reduction once they announced the stack deal, right? So, okay, I don't know how much they lost seven percent or something. What if Zoom did something similar, either either as you know buying something you know, buying another company. Or saying, okay, we're gonna have a. Well, they don't need a capital raise, but they're buying another acquisition. So do, doing something that is like, okay, we're now not going to be a point solution. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be more than that. That could really like hurt the share price. Yeah, it could. But I mean, again, if I look at Zoom today, Zoom grows like twenty percent this year, which basically means on the back half of next year, that like this quarter and the quarter that ends this coming January, that's going to be down you know, let's call it 10%. But if you look out annually, the following year should be like minus 2% organic. So you go from whatever they did this year to 20% to like minus two, because you're exiting next year at like a down 10% year over year run rate. If you got just minimal churn, because there is no more, there is no more COVID. All right. So that's a business that goes sideways for two years. I don't know. What, it definitely doesn't have a shareholder base who's really thinking remotely that far out. What can they do? Yeah, they could have bought a Slack, right? I mean, they could have bid on it. $150 billion market cap. 
I think there would have been an initial drop and then people would have been like, put these two together. It's like its own little office suite. Add on one more, uh, let's call it word processing, presentation, whatever combination. Okay. Yeah. Like something like that. You put them together and, and it's a separate standalone, pure cloud, non independent, like non part of a, a larger organization. It doesn't have that problem. Now you kind of, we'll see what happens with Zoom. Like where are they going to go or what, or what are they going to, like you said, like it seems like marketplace is an interesting thing. I mean, we have people talking about what's it called? Uh, API, the, the Chinese white label. Agora. You know, yeah. yeah, Agora. And, and whether that's a business and like, if I want to build something and just embed video, like does, are we going to, like we use Zoom as a verb. You want to hop on a Zoom call. Is it going to be embedded video? Or is it like when, when I talk about video and healthcare and telemedicine, we saw, there was obviously that big merger with the Teladoc and Alamingo. But when I think about what, it's a form of communication. It's not an application. So once you cross over into that, like the whole defense for Slack had been, right, all the integrations that, that, that it provides and it's a central nervous system, system of record, et cetera. So I don't know. I mean, it's, it's I guess we'll see, but I think, I think Slack as a, as a work productivity tool is something that will be much more relevant in five years than, than, than Zoom. To me, Zoom is like a telco right now. Like, how do you differentiate it? So, so let's go, let's go ahead. Let's dive into the other one thing here quickly. I think we've, we've dwelled on this Slack enough. It's over. You buy some Salesforce shares if you're, uh, want to participate in it at pro rata ratio. What did he say? 50 billion he, is his target by 2026. You do have to love being off. The guy is, uh, he's like a big teddy bear killer, but pager duty. You know, it was actually a busy week, obviously. So, like, Slack gets bought out on Monday, and then uh, we had PagerDuty earnings on uh, on Thursday, and finally, what we finished up like thirty percent or something. Now, I'm curious as your guys' opinions because I mean, you guys heard my rant last time. So, I got a bunch of people who reached out immediately after the results, and they're like, "Oh, congratulations!" But like, did that make any sense to you? And I'm like, "Did did the thirty three percent drop last quarter make any sense to me either?" No. So what did you guys think? Because to me, nothing changed. She pretty much gave you exactly what happened on that conference call that decimated the stock and caused it. Serious, serious carnage in my portfolio. Wait a second. I mean, revenue, I, I don't want to call it flat on the last earnings, but you know, it did, did have some carry forward. It dropped on the billings going from nearly 40% to like 10%, right? And and, and yes. hedge funds and, and and people, you know, in the finance industry, when when we look at software, I can tell you for a fact that if I was looking at PagerDuty, I would not have cared about this quarter if I was certain they were not going to talk about their annual guidance for next year. And I could have told you with COVID, hundred percent, there was they're not talking. So to me, not only was it more Im- like as immaterial as can be, it's more immaterial than usual because there was zero risk that I'm going to have anything about next year because. It, it's done. So when I'm when I'm giving you guidance uh, on a quarter, I'm moving that annual, right? I'm I'm factoring in that five percent because when I start that annual guidance in the year, I'm looking to beat it by ten percent because as a subscription software company, I have the visibility. So when I'm guiding to that quarter after quarter after quarter, there has to be this like like a miss is a disaster. If you actually come in below and have to change it, 
that basically means you lost customers who can't cancel immediately or some like really large deals that you had really high visibility on didn't close, right? And we know we knew going into the last quarter that, well, I mean, I knew based on my research that they had a particularly unique tough situation at the end of Q1 that weighed on the billings into Q2, okay? I anticipated that. I didn't anticipate the reaction we got to that. You, you knew that, but they knew that too. And they, and they weren't. On the Q1 conference call, they were asked about the billings being so strong. They basically gave the answer we had a large customer. They didn't say it explicitly, but they're just saying, look, the timing of renewals, and we did have a decent one. It's basically saying, X customer who typically renewed in this quarter here is renewing here. And, and by the way, that customer was supposed to grow, right? So that took, that caused her to not be able to take up her guy. All right. I think she's done a good job with respect to that. The sell side didn't seem to really digest much of that. Then the, the next call, the next call wasn't a disaster. Like I'll, if you want a SaaS disaster call, go look at the Splunk call. The Splunk call was like, we didn't close two out of the 10 top customers we usually close. And like, you know, that was, you know, a four alarm fire. This conference call, she was like, we're tracking way ahead of what we expected. And Q3 is going great. That was the call. And that stock opened down 20 and was like down 35, 30 minutes into trading the next morning. All right. To me, I was just, I just threw up my hands and let's forget the fact that Twitter did the same thing on what I thought was an amazing quarter after that. That's part of the craziness of COVID and the types of people who are trading the market. But this thing has had negative sentiment. Now, if you look at this quarter, there was definitely an improved tone, a bit of a swagger, right? So I think they kind of shook that, but not like we still don't really have much in terms of like how to plan this thing for next year. What we do know, I, I do think she did a really good job with, with, which I personally liked, was Salesforce going to digital operations. So the, the Salesforce sales guy, they, I, they brought in clearly did his job. I mean, they're, they're expanding their, their penetration and they are getting that growth inside of the company that you would want to see. And their customer base is the Fortune 100, it's Fortune 1000. And you know, once this product buries in there, it's it's never coming out to Ian's point earlier. And so they are very, very well positioned for revenue growth as long as these companies continue to invest in their digital transformation over the next five years, you're, you're going to see fantastic growth from, from those customers. That but it's not going to grow like Zoom or, Zoom or CrowdStrike, which is where you get the people who like had yeah, to reacclimate. I don't, I don't care about that. I care about predictable... You know, oh, I, that's what I, I, I'm with you 100%. But like, you, like for the last six months, that's not what people would look at. They'd say, hey, it's COVID. Why have you not? Why has this not taken off yet? But she did do a good job. She repeated right, but this several is, times. So, so don't, hold on. Going back to your point on Zoom, Zoom is going to have negative growth. This company is going to clock in 25 to 30% growth for, for the next four to 10 quarters. Right? You know, you're going to be able to set your watch to this thing. And that is exactly what you want. And that's the type of growth that I'm looking for. So, like, and, and to that point, like how much do you think the 25% growth, because that has been steady since last call and before that it was declining, that they kind of kept it at a 25% and it didn't decline further. Do you think that gave investors a bit more confidence to buy the stock? And in particular in a market where everything else seems pretty lofty valuations, people look for a bit of value as well with predictable revenue going forward. Like, I think that probably has some, something to do with it. Like also to, I think narrative is, yeah. is, is important. Totally yeah. agree. 
I mean, I, I agree with you on that. I also think narrative is important. So look, this they were they were over out the gate on IPO. There's the, there's you know you get ready for the big dance and you want to look your best. They came out at like fifty percent, and when when I came at it, I was like Splunk has just bought Victor Ops, Atlassian Ops Genie. I did the work in the market, and it, the irony of the Salesforce. I had talked to Salesforce, a Heroku senior engineer, and I talked to him about the product. You know, like right around the IPO. And he's like, look, I mean, we use it for alerting and it's, it's pretty straightforward and that that's what it is. And I'm like, are you using analytics? Are you using this? No. And now you get this call and it's like, Hey, Salesforce bought the digital operations package across this, you know, and taught like, what is it? 10,000 users or whatever they said. That's where you look at it and it's encouraging. And there's an element of that where when I was initially skeptical, I was like, Atlassian's going to kick him in the teeth. You know, so-and-so is going to kick him in the teeth. And I would tell anybody who was hating on this thing the entire time, bring me one major logo. One, just tell me Netflix switched. That's the starting point because if, I'm a, if I can go into Fortune 500 and I get you to rip it out, have you been using it for five years, and make the case that I ripped it out and I switched to this, okay, that would have been the starting point for something. And, and I'd been at it for eight, nine months. That's why when, like, when I talk to people in the market, some were skeptical, some, but I did have a couple who were just like, it's really, 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 really sticky. And I, was, I had this confidence that the pricing attack, and it did, I mean, you saw there, there was attrition on the lower end, and that was created by Ops Genie and what's happened in the market. But in the Fortune 500, which to me is like 90% of the addressable market here, nothing. And that was, that was where I got the confidence in January, February, when I saw Apple doing what they're doing, and I, I saw Uber, and I saw what was going on in the space. I was just like, like this is clearly. I'm I'm basically betting that someone in this space is gonna want to rip out their fire alarm, and it seems like nobody wants to do that because when I had this conversation, you had guys be like, "Look, we have 250 different things tied to PagerDuty that are custom integrations. Like, we don't want to rip. It's not a question of like the. They literally would have to make it very uncomfortable for us price wise. And remember, a lot of these large organizations have their own custom set up for a major outage. Like you're going to blow, Salesforce has a major incident. It's going to blow out PagerDuty's API gateway. So like there's, there's that element too. So like this is something that's a day-to-day, once it gets in there, it, it, it's hard to get rid of. And people just, like they don't like the metrics going in the wrong direction. So the dollar net based retention rate go to, goes up from like 116, 116 to 118. And the billings went back up over 35, which I could have told you Last quarter was going to happen this quarter because it's not hard to model these things. And all of a sudden, the stock is, you know, reacting like it's, it, it came out and shocked the world, which is just funny because essentially we went nowhere over two quarters based on that. So, I mean, I think it's dressed up very nicely for the ball. It, it, it shows that it can expand very well in the Fortune 100 or Fortune 1000. And, it, you know, I do think it, it is kind of like Slack in some ways, it is a bit difficult for them to go out and create new SKUs in order to offer a, a, a secondary product to sell. And so to me, you know, sort of the next step that I kind of see outside of the, you know, sort of the consistent billing that they've been able to prove is, is you know, I, I believe that a company like ServiceNow is going to come in and snatch this up in order to, to, to add and expand the same way that Salesforce has with Slack. There's, there's just a ton of potential growth that, that, that they could bring to the table for a company like PagerDuty as well. And 
I'm obviously excited that the stock did well. The the other announcement that happened since the last call, which obviously didn't have any impact on the stock, but I think going forward is something to watch is that um, Atlassian, they renamed Jira Service Desk into Jira Service Management and bundled a whole bunch of capabilities into that offering. And Ops Genie is one of those capabilities. And that's kind of something that I I was a strong advocate for early on that really Ops Genie shouldn't be looked at as a separate product in order to win in the market, but more as a feature of a broader suite or a feature of like service management in this case. So basically, if you buy if you buy Jira service management, you get the like the whole incident management, change management, and and alerting now for twenty dollars per user or forty dollars per user on the on the higher tier, and that is pretty compelling. So will be interesting to see how Atlassian goes with that offering over the next like six to 12 months. But I think that will make it definitely a bit harder for pager duty. Like even in the large accounts at some stage, if you now say, oh, we already have service management, but we're getting this for free. And now it's like you have to buy additional users. So it's still not like an easy switch. I think they, they're still going to be quite sticky in large organizations. But in particular for new sales, that that puts another... For it means a bit more headwind for pager duty. That's for sure. It's, it's a bit. It's obviously you know, kind of the same problem that Slack had, but it's probably a lot more sticky, isn't it? It is a lot more sticky. Yes, it's really hard to replace because you're integrated with a whole bunch of different tooling that you have in place. So even for Atlassian after the acquisition to bring in to change from pager duty, which uh, was used internally to Ops Genie, wasn't wasn't an easy, straightforward task. We we hoped it would have been easy. I think. Anybody else? One final comment, which is, uh, and you know, Akram, you know, you're an expert in this SaaS, SaaS stocks valuations. We're not quite sure about, but how, you know, sticky, stickiness, how easy it is to either change or not change, is actually a huge driver of, you know, future revenue for SaaS stocks. And I don't know whether the market pays as much attention as it maybe should do. If you look at, for example, if you look at PagerDuty, duty and its relative valuation, considering actually. Well, I mean, the way I look at it from that standpoint is it's mission critical, yeah. right? So like, it's just something that once you have it tied in there, it's infrastructure that you don't day to day, that you, you don't want to experiment with. It's, if, it's, it's an, if it's one of those, what do you call it? It ain't broke, you know, don't mess with it type of thing. Which is like a CRM, by the way, as well. Yeah? CRM is the same. Do you guys agree with that? I mean, you're the, you're the software guys. Yeah, I think so. CRM is, is definitely very sticky as well. The same, yeah. Like anything that it has a lot of processes and integrations, which is definitely the case for CRM. Yeah, it becomes becomes very sticky. Like, can you give context on the custom integrations? When someone tells you, an engineer is like, it's not just he's out of the box. We have it customly integrated with homegrown systems. And for the large enterprises, that this is something that, that's a different story for a large enterprise versus as, because if you talk to someone at the very SMB level, he's like, I can replace PagerDuty in, in two weeks, no problem. Yeah, it depends on how like how they're using it or how it's been integrated, right? Like even SMB, if they if they integrated heavily with their tool set, uh, whether it's like with the Atlassian tools or with the kind of monitor, monitoring tools like Datadog or Dynatrace. So the more you, you integrate it, the harder it becomes to replace it. But yeah, custom tooling, I think is one of the, the key ones. And I, I think that happened quite a bit actually with PagerDuty early on where people 
wrote a whole bunch of tooling around it to optimize the process. And then ripping that out is harder. I think that happens less and less though, as the as the products themselves provide more functionality around the, like the incident management. Like for example, like the whole incident management, what is that process? What uh, what kind of like, do we create tickets automatically? Is there a Slack room set up? Like all of that used to be a custom built in a company. And now you get a lot of that functionality out of the box with most of the providers. So the less need there is for custom integrations, the the less sticky it becomes as well, which is kind of like an interesting... Ironic. Yeah. <laughs> Price predictions? Where is it going? 60, 55? It's already... PagerDuty is like the value play in this hot growth SaaS space, and it's still already like sort of towards the mind-boggling part for me. So I'm I'm gonna let what I have run, but I can't make any predictions on where it goes. I mean, acquisition is is the, it will be the driver of <laughs> increase. Yeah. I mean, it definitely does fit nicely. It's another one of those where if you acquire it and you integrate it in. It, it, for the fi- for the finance people just looking at it like it's it's easy well and you know those gross margins and i think what's interesting is that they have a small enough market that they won't they don't seem like they would attract a microsoft as a somebody targeting them the way that oh, of course happens i mean atlassian buying ops genie i guess is like sort of a example of that but they just seem to sort of have this Goldilocks situation where, like Justin was saying, they have steady growth expectations. They have high gross margins. There's like, you can see how this scales into a nicely profitable business or fits into, I mean, it's still only, what's the market cap now? It can't be three and a half. 3.3. Yeah. Yeah. 3.4. Yeah. So. But I mean, it's definitely one where I looked at it and I thought that Atlassian like is the giant the Atlassian was the Microsoft. That was my argument, if you remember. So when I when I looked at it, I was like, this is, you know, this is a Twilio Twilio hackathon project that turned into what it is. And it it had they they definitely had built some customer loyalty. And they like Zoom, you know, you're on pager duty, they verbed it, which people always underestimate the branding. You had those two things, but the third thing I was just like, the, the reliability was key because the, what had been funded behind it in terms of, 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 of Victor Ops and Ops Genie had not been able to land one of those big, reliable customers because they were just not you know, established yet. And that was where you got into the, once Atlassian and Splunk throw their muscle behind this, let alone the tangential connection, if I'm Walmart or, or Netflix or whoever, I'm more comfortable moving this and that turned out to be completely wrong i mean like they, they, they've continued to win very consistently and even more impressive logos in the fortune 100 and fortune 500 what turned out to be right was ops genie created some decent churn for them on the small end of, of, of the spectrum and they got pricing pressure to a degree which i think blunted a little bit of the 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 over year over year, like the window dressing that comes into dressing a, a company up before you IPO, or you want to call it window dressing or whatever, just getting it ready for the metrics for the for investors in that first year of, of an exit. I think they kind of just a little bit got that a little bit off, 
And that with all the options you have today to invest in software, I mean, I think back to 2012, 2013, when it was like eight, nine names, that was, that was your comp universe. We're at a hundred now. I mean, it's, it's multiplied so fast and there's so many different names. You can't, can't, I can't even keep up with, there's like 200 IPOs this year. And it's gotten to the point where, you know, I don't even know the tickers before I could tell you everything about every company because it wasn't that deep. Like what was the SaaS universe? It was, it was the whole, we're pivoting over. Now, I mean, we've got five monitoring companies. Yeah. Yeah. Endpoint protection is like another six set, seven companies. Like everything has a subset that's, that's gotten very deep, very quickly in terms of choice. I mean, if you look at the price, you know, now $41 or whatever, it was 57. Well, yeah, we shorted it at 50, essentially speaking. Yeah. June last year or whatever. It's interesting. Yeah. The COVID, the COVID thing hasn't done anything for it. Well, it ha- I mean, it, it had a hangover. They got, they, they blamed sales execution at the end of the year, which you never want to hear <laughs> and ever from a software company, let alone one that's been public for less than six months. <laughs> yeah. So like yeah. It, 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 it ran into issues that can largely be attributed to competition initially. And from then on, it was how they, how they adjusted to it. And they're, they were fighting against themselves, put it that way. Right. And that's, that's one of the things that you have to deal with in the market. I mean, we can uh, maybe one day I'll get a complete answer on it. But like, if you look at what they went through this year, uh, and I've been in the weeds on it so much. And I mean, you, like, you know, Jens, we've chatted on this recently. Like, we, we, everyone's got a view with respect to what's gone. I've talked to several people who've been involved with it. And there was, there was a little bit early on of like criticism on, on the CEO. And in hindsight, I think she's done a good job. Like, I think she's she, the situation, maybe like the way it was, it was set up for out the gate uh, as far as communicating with the sell side. I don't think that was done perfectly well. And I, I mean, if you want to blame that on the CEO, you can blame that on the CEO. But I think that the, the narrative for this company was, was like, I looked at this company as a 20% grower when I came at it in January. So I'm I, like I'm happy if it grows 18 to 20 percent next year and, and can do you know, deliver that as a guide and deliver you know a little bit higher. I mean, look, look, your classic example of that has been Viva, right? I mean, what like back out the acquisitions? What's Viva been growing? Like that was that was what they what they delivered then total, but that was because they discovered a completely new market in in in, in enterprise content management versus CRM. Yeah, I think similar to what we what what we said about Zoom being more of a feature or capability, I, I maintain the same here as well. I think pager duty or particularly the alerting piece is, is a capability that's part of a bigger suite. So I would be, I'm really surprised that that uh, ServiceNow hasn't bought them yet. It's like a, like a third of a th- uh, 3% of the market cap. So it's should be a no brainer. And the, the customer base that they gain like they pager duty has a lot of customers i'm sure they overlap a decent amount but yeah they do have they, they definitely have they have the, the footprint without question in in, in the fortune 500 yeah fortune 1000 even really yeah just having th- those relationships uh, and like sticky product in there already and trying to sell more of service now into into those customers and creating those relationships seems like an obvious obvious choice so but i think the same is true here they probably believe that they can build it themselves and it's this is actually really hard to build 
just because it has to be available all the time. The probably multi-cloud if Amazon goes down and takes down most of your services, you don't want the alerting piece to be down as well. So it's it's not an easy product to build, in particular if you have a like a big architecture that's the focus is very different for like so it's now same for was true for Atlassian. Like it was certainly built with like high availability, but not the highest availability, like always available. Um, it's just not a requirement that you have. And most of your infrastructure is just not built around that um, use case. So this is usually a tool that's separate and requires a different team, different thinking. So it would be a good acquisition. It's definitely not where, it's definitely not where you want to experiment, right? So yes. like when you think about as a buyer, you're just going to be like, who is the market leader? Okay, next. Yeah. It's it's definitely it's definitely one where I think that that, that like uh, it's it seems so simple, but it seems like people really underestimate that often because you don't really want to experiment when it comes to that. There's so many other things you're going to make decisions on. Like why with there are you gonna are you gonna unless it's like userist what they're charging. It's a question for for Jens. If Atlassian or PageDuty. Would they run into the same problems as they did with Opsgenie? And and also, I mean, could the same thing happen to ServiceNow if they actually bought them? I, I think they wouldn't have because the basically Opsgenie is the leader of the market and it just like emphasizes your kind of capability to reach out to the market. So with Opsgenie, you bought um, Atlassian basically bought kind of like a second, like one of the second, third players in the market, largely because I think the valuation was quite high for Atlassian, like doing like a billion dollar acquisition in that space, I think would have been a bit much to swallow at the time. Before, before we got to a world where, where no revenue gets you $2 billion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But in terms of selling the product would have been much easier for Atlassian. And in particular, the enterprise stickiness there would have helped Atlassian as well. So yeah, I think... For service now, it would be it would be a huge advantage. Now is the question like how much can they? For Atlassian, it was also easier. Is my guess that's why they rolled it in to give up the revenue generated by OpsGD or like it's not really giving it up because you still charge for per agent, and that that developers have to become agents. So it's just a bit of a different packaging, but making some sacrifice on pricing in order to get reach or market share. Uh, makes it much easier if you are a little bit smaller and you don't have that like the like a big revenue that like number that you have to cut down because you make it more affordable or because you're rolling it into other products. But again, like I think service now would be like the capabilities that they gain and also the kind of the customers that they can sell into is, is definitely seems like a yeah the distribution that a they big have. opportunity for them yeah, yeah. The massive distribution capability. All right, guys. I think that's uh, well. Thanks for coming. Thanks for finding the time. It was great. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. I hope uh, you're satisfied with your gains. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Thanks, everyone. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening to the Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Short Man Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel. 
Thank you for listening and see you next week.